Before we open God's word, let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace in every aspect of our lives. And as we pause for a moment to look into your word, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. That is your promise that he will, that he will open our eyes to what it means and how it applies to our hearts and lives. We're trusting you for that here this morning. We need your help and we need your working in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I wonder how many of you recognize this little can right here, WD-40. This is handy stuff to have. If you don't have a can of it in your junk drawer or in the trunk of your car, you ought to get one. I just used it the other day to spray on my trailer hitch when I went to pick up my kayaks. But I bet you don't know how it got its name. WD stands for water displacement. The guys who were instrumental in creating WD-40 wanted something that they could spray that would coat steel and all kinds of metal to keep it from rusting. So that's the WD. But the 40 is because they spent months developing this formula and it took them 40 different formulas to find the one that would work. 39 of them were crumpled up and thrown in the trash and it was the 40th one that did the charm. Um, I really like to read in my spare time. One of my favorite authors is John Grisham. He is one of the best-selling authors of the modern age. Uh, 40 novels, 42 languages, and I think it's well over 300 million books that he sold uh, in his 30-year career. What you may not know is that his first book was called A Time to Kill, and it took him five years to write it, and 28 publishers turned him down. I bet some of those guys are kicking themselves now. 28 turned him down. The 29th said, okay, we'll publish it, but we're only going to do 5,000 copies. Grisham agreed, and he also agreed to buy the first 1,000 copies himself, and he spent several months driving around the southern states with a trunk full of books, going to bookstores, trying to sell them. And, of course, the rest is history. Well, the lesson for us in that is that sometimes the best things in life come to us after difficulty. See, life is not easy, and we are certainly experiencing that right now. Our lives are not easy here in this setting that we're, in. we're facing with the quarantines and closures of businesses, and some of you are out of work, and it's affecting your income. Some of you are probably nervous about what's happening. You're scared. You're uncertain. Is this going to come into my home and affect my family directly? And I certainly understand that. Probably the toughest thing, at least for me, as we deal with all of this uncertainty is that we have no idea when it's going to end. And nobody in our lifetime, in our generation, has really ever faced anything like this. I mean, our grandparents did. Maybe our, our great-grandparents, for those of you that are a little bit younger, have walked through these kinds of things. But our lives have been, have been so comfortable, it's hard to grapple with everything that we're facing. Well, this morning, we're coming to the end. After three months, we're coming to the end of our study in 1 Timothy. And I think it's very interesting, these last few verses of the book, what Paul has to say to his protege. He says, Timothy, you need to keep going. And of course, we believe that everything that Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit to Timothy applies to us in this day. And I think the Holy Spirit is saying to us, Moss Brook, you need to keep going. 
We've been talking about 1 Timothy as life in the church and doing God's work God's way. And so Paul's final challenge to us is this. We need to persevere. Now, Paul had earned the right to say this. If we read the scripture and we look at it, we would know that Paul was whipped five times. He was beaten three times by rods. He was shipwrecked three times. One time he spent a day and a night floating around in the water waiting for someone to rescue him. He was robbed. He was beaten. He was mistreated in every way, slandered, imprisoned more times than we can count. So this isn't just anybody saying we need to persevere in our faith. This is the Apostle Paul. And I want to encourage you to take your Bibles with me right now, open them together as a family to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and follow along with me as I read those last few verses, because Paul is going to give us five things that we really need to be mindful of if we're going to persevere in our faith. Now, the first one is this. We need to realize that this is a battle. So take your Bible and follow as I read a couple of verses. Verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now first I want you to notice Paul's intensity here. See some of the words that he uses. Flee these things. Pursue these things. Fight. Take hold. These are aggressive words. Now, friends, this battle that we are in is real, and it is intense. When he says, flee these things, he's referring back to the passage that we read last week. That is, flee bad doctrine, flee covetousness, flee love of money, flee discontent, leave those things behind, and pursue these things. Pursue is an interesting word. It's actually a term that was used for hunting, and it describes the hunter and how he goes after his prey. Uh, A couple years ago, I had a chance to go bird hunting uh, with some guys, and I ended up, as as good fortune would have it, we had a great time, I ended up in Ben Young's truck. And it was Ben Young, me, Tim Yates, and Klaus Stan. Now, I don't know if you all know those guys or not, but we had a good time. I mean, I don't even want to tell their wives some of the craziness and, you know, the bags of candy that were consumed and all that stuff. But this was the best part. I'm, I'm not a big hunter. I like to shoot and I like to go like that on those trips with the guys. But I don't hunt a lot except for birds. And the way we hunt birds when we're up north in the truck is we just drive hundreds of miles of woods roads And when somebody sees a bird, we slam on the brakes, we hop out, we load a couple of shells, and somebody tries to shoot it. Now, sometimes we're fortunate and the bird stands still and somebody shoots it and we all laugh and slap each other on the back and throw it in the truck and we keep going for the next bird. But sometimes when you get out, the bird takes off. Now, my tendency when that happens is to say, oh, well, take the shells out of my gun, get back in the truck, but not these guys. They have a technique that they call bird dogging. And the bird flies into the woods, and they just 
run into the woods after it. I mean, they take off. And the king of doing this is Clow. It doesn't matter if it's raining, snowing, 10 degrees, 80 degrees. He is off into the woods. And you might not see him for 10 minutes. We're like, Clow, where are you? He is way out there. And all of a sudden you hear, and a few minutes later, Clow comes back with a bird, happy as a clam, hops in the truck. I mean, this guy is passionate about bird hunting and going after those birds. And that's the word that Paul uses here. Pursue these things. What are we supposed to pursue with passion? Well, what does he say there? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love. Notice the word steadfastness. That means endurance. It means patience under stress. We need that, don't we? We need it right now. I bet there's more stress in your life today than there was two weeks ago because you're wondering what's going to happen. And Paul says we need to pursue that steadfastness, that patience under stress. Fight the good fight of the faith. Literally contend for it, struggle with it, wrestle for it. Sometimes when we look at these words and we look at the What the Greek word is, we have no idea how to pronounce them. This word does not fit that category. We know exactly where this word came from. Fight is the Greek word agonizomai. I bet you recognize it, right? Agonize. That's what Paul's saying. Do everything you can to pursue this because it takes effort to stand for the truth in this world that we're living in right now. It takes effort, it takes strength, it takes perseverance. If you are going to live in this world, if you're going to work in this world, if you're going to raise your family in this world, and you're going to say, I stand for the truth of God's word. I believe what it has to say about life, about salvation, about marriage, about the kind of entertainment that I listen to and that I watch. That's going to take some courage. That's going to take some guts, and it might be difficult. This is a battle. Friends, can I also just help you to understand this morning that sometimes this battle breaks your heart? Because sometimes as we walk through this life and we face these difficulties and we face opposition, there's someone in our life, someone that we care about, someone that we love who walks away, who says, that's it. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to be in this battle. I want to go to the other side where it's easy and when there is no opposition. And sometimes it breaks our hearts. Paul says, I want you to take hold of this eternal life. Resolve to keep going. Well, here's the second one. That is, consider who you serve. Let me read verse 13 for you. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So here's another reason to keep going. And the reason is because we serve the King of Kings, the sovereign God. Now, if you're thinking about the fact that this is a battle, as we just talked about, 
you know, the battles have two sides. Well, you need to understand you're on the side in this battle of the king of kings, Paul says, the Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality. He gives life. He's in control. That's who we serve. We don't serve a government that changes every four years. We don't pledge our loyalty to an economy that goes in the tank when things are closed for two weeks. We don't serve an ideology like socialism or communism or even capitalism that moves in and out of favor as the tide goes. We're serving Jesus Christ, the one who never changes, the one who alone is immortal. We serve Almighty God. And notice that Paul says we are to serve him, we are to do that, we are to be blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is wonderful hope right in the middle of this passage. You remember a couple of minutes ago I said, one of the tough parts is we don't know when this is going to end. I mean, don't drive yourself crazy, but if you go online and start reading articles, there's some guys out there that are saying, hey, you know, in a week we'll all be back to work. And there's other guys that are saying, I hope we're back to work by fall. I mean, we just don't know what's happening here. But I want you to know, as a Christ follower, that all of this does have an end point. There is going to be a time when God is going to put all things in its appropriate place and in its appropriate order. And that is when Jesus Christ returns. That's what Paul says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ did not come to this earth and say, well, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to provide salvation and I'm going to give you grace to live and, oh, and see you later. I mean, good luck. I hope it all works out. No, he says, I'm coming back and I am going to bring all things into their proper place. Now, I don't know if you noticed it when I was reading it for you, but Paul kind of breaks into a little bit of a song there in verses 15 and 16. There's a creed there, and what I'm wondering is, how many people remember your Greek lesson from a few weeks ago? Any hands? Who remembers? I taught you three Greek words. Now, do you remember what the long one was that sounded kind of funny, that started with an H and is really fun to say? Homologumina. That's what Paul does here again. There's another one. It's a creed that we all assent to, we all agree to. The only one who dwells in unapproachable light, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, a sovereign God. We all agree. That's who we serve. Well, let's look at the third thing. It's in verses 17, 17 through 19, and it's this. Seize what really matters. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, we realize that this is a battle. We consider who we serve until Christ reappears. In the meantime, we need to be thinking about what really matters. Now, again, just like last week, we saw Paul is not condemning wealth. 
He's not saying you shouldn't have any wealth, you shouldn't have any possessions. That's not what he's saying. But he is addressing what we are to do with them. And what does he say we should do with what we have? He says that we should be generous. We should be ready to share it. We need to focus on that. Use what we have to serve God, to care for, and to help other people. Don't, Paul says, don't set your hope on these things, but set your hope on God. Now, friends, if there was ever a time when we could take care to look around and see if there are ways that we can serve other people and help our neighbors, it's right now. There are people around us who have need. And I want to encourage and challenge you to keep your eyes open. How can you use the resources that God has given you to supply the needs of those who are around you? You know, in the book of Acts, there's a verse there that describes the early church. And it's talking about how they had all fellowshiped together and how they, how they shared what they had with those that had need. And there's a verse there that says, there was no one in the church that lacked. Why was that? It's because they were generous and they were ready to share. I was reading an article online yesterday and this guy was a mailman and he was walking his route and he was bumped into one of his clients, I guess, if you will, delivering the mail, and the guy came out to talk to him for a few minutes, and everybody's starving for conversation because they're not seeing anyone, so he's standing there talking with his fellow on his front lawn, and pretty soon the guy's wife comes out of the house and has a little bag, and she hands it to their mailman and says, we just wanted to give you this to encourage you. So he said, okay, thank you, and he got back in his little mail truck, and he drove down the road, and he looked in the bag, and there were snacks, there was a can of pop, and there was a roll of toilet paper. I mean, that's generous, right? That's really generous right now. They were sharing what they had. And that's what Paul is telling us. We need to be generous with what God has entrusted to us. Can I challenge you not to bury your head in the sand? I know we're all being encouraged to stay in, to not get out and mingle. And, not, and I want to be smart. I want to follow the recommendations that our health professionals are giving us because obviously we want this to slow down and to stop spreading. But don't completely isolate yourself. Look up, look around, and see who you can help. Well, the fourth thing is in verse number 20 that Paul shares with us, and it's this. Treasure the gospel. Listen to verse 20. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Guard the deposit. Now, if the word pursue was a hunting term, the phrase guard the deposit is a military term. It means to protect something that has great value. Now, what do you do if you have something that has great value? You leave it with someone you can trust, right? Um, I have in my gun safe at home a 100-year-old shotgun that belonged to my grandfather. A close family friend gave it to him about 75 years ago, and when he passed away... My father inherited it, and about 25 years ago, my father gave it to me. It's one of my most prized possessions, and I have plans later to give it to Gavin. It's valuable to our family, and so we keep it with those that we trust. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Guard the deposit. This value. What's the deposit? 
that Timothy has that Paul's given to him? It's the gospel. You need to treasure it, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, The things that you have received from me, Timothy, I want you to pass them along to faithful men so that they can teach others. That's four generations of the gospel. And that's what he's saying here. Treasure the gospel. That we have this great, valuable thing. Now, right now, everybody around us is treasuring all kinds of stuff and hoarding it, I guess. I don't know where all the meat and all of the pasta and the toilet paper is right now, but somebody's guarding it with their lives. And I know some of those things are important to have, but they're just commodities, folks. They're just going to be consumed over the next few days or weeks, but the gospel is eternal. And Paul says you need to treasure what is eternal the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, there's one more thing that Paul shares with us here, and it's right at the end. I don't know if you noticed it as you've read through 1 Timothy. It's the last four verses of the book. He says you need to live by grace through faith. Right at the end of verse 21, he says, grace be with you. Now, this harkens back a little bit to number two, where we talked about considering who you serve. Because here's the reality, ultimately, persevering in our faith, persevering in your faith, is not about your strength. It's about God's strength. It's about God's faithfulness. Now, of course, we know by this time, as we've spent three months in the book of 1 Timothy, that Paul is talking to Timothy, but also he was instructing Timothy to read this to his whole church. And so this is addressed to all of us. It's interesting to note that the literal translation of the end of that verse is grace be with you all. Grace be with all of you. It's for every one of us, for you and me, persevering is going to be about my faith in the grace of God. Now, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to us? He's saying this. We need to persevere in our faith. God is saying, focus. Focus on what matters. What matters is that God is saying, I am the one who is faithful. I am the one who is strong. I am the one who never leaves you. I am the one who can care for you and protect you and sustain you. Folks, here's the reality. This life is a battle. It's not easy. That is, if you're really in it. If loving God and living for him and serving him is truly your passion, there are times that it will be difficult. There are times when the battle will break your heart. But we need to keep going. Your flesh will fail. Your body will say, I want to give in. You'll want to give up. But God's strength never fails. And His Holy Spirit gives us what we need to keep going.